talking about generations, and so we see a generation leaving right now, and how part of our vision for 2019 is no generation is left out. No generation is left out. How the church should be a, a gathering place of family for all generations to come. But one of the things that we had noted is that we do have a generation that is more and more missing in the church today, and that is our, our, our young families, our young adults in that 24 to 35 age category. And so we've been talking about how in 2019 we want to create opportunities for this group to engage uh, the church like never before. Uh, because they've sometimes written the church off as irrelevant, non essential for them. So, what can we do to make that different for a generation that needs the hope of Jesus? We talked about that. Uh, we also talked about finding your place, doing your part. So, I'm going to encourage you again to stay connected to that class, find your place, do your part, and that helps you to find out how God uniquely wired you to serve his mission. And sometimes that mission is right here within our gathering. A lot of times that mission is out in the week-to-week stuff of life as you engage people out there. But this morning, I want to turn our attention to the church. Um, And the question I want to ask is, is when you think about church, what comes to mind? You think about church, what comes to mind? If I, if I was to have a microphone and, and put it in front of each of your faces, which I won't do, don't worry, but if I did that, I, I would probably discover that a lot of us have a different way we would answer the question, what is church? And maybe another way I want to kind of bring your attention to this topic is when you think about the church, do you think about a place you go? Do you think about a building? Do you, do you think about 9 or 1045? Do you think about a 75-minute service? Do you think about coming and sitting and listening and then leaving? I mean, is that what comes to mind when think about church? Do you think about church as an organization? Or do you think about church as an organism? Because those two things are very different. An organization is an organized body of people in a particular purpose. So it's about structure. It's about order. But an organism is a whole with interdependent parts, and it is living. And so when we think about the church, based on what the New Testament shows us, I think we'd come to understand the church was never meant to be an organization. It was meant to be an organism. Because what happens when the church becomes an organization, we begin creating an institution that withdraws itself from culture. And it creates its own subculture of Christianity that meets at 9 or 1045. And we do these Christian-y kind of things inside the church, and then we leave. But if we view the church as an organism, then we come to realize that it is a body that is in motion, that it is a movement that unleashes the power and the purposes of God within our culture because you can't contain a living organism within a location. It moves, it breathes, and it leads to transformation within our culture. And by the way, the apostles, Peter and Paul and all those leaders of the first church that was established, they never viewed the church as an organization. In fact, they used a word that helped us understand. They were thinking, they were talking, they were envisioning an organism, a living, breathing body of Christ. Let's look at it. Um, you can see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. In fact, by the way, I just want to pause here and say notes are available a couple of ways. One is through the YouVersion Bible app. Many of you have downloaded that app to your smart device. And if you have an account with them, um, you can go to 
more events, and you'll see Neighborhood Church as one of the options you can follow, and our notes are there, or go to albanync.org, and we push the notes there through a blog. Just go to messages, and you'll see it there as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 27, Paul says this way, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now, what's an organism? It is a whole with interdependent parts, Okay. Now, he didn't use the word organism, but Paul said, you are the body of Christ. Last time I checked, a body is hopefully living and breathing and moving, right? So you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it, and God has placed in the church. Now, notice I stopped there, but what I want you to see is how he places church and the body of Christ kind of in, in, in synonymous relation here, all right? You're the body of Christ the church. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which he gives description, church, which is his body. Okay? His body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church is meant to be the fullness of the body of Christ. Colossians chapter 1, 18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, and how is it described further? The church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so then everything he might have the supremacy. So what I want you to see is that when the apostle Paul, who did primarily the work of teaching churches, when he talked about church, he paralleled it with body of Christ. Now, why was that important? Because if the church is indeed the body of Christ, that means that we're his living representation of him in the world still yet today. So it should be influential. It should be irresistible, just like Jesus was. Right? Think about it. When Jesus came, we see the story in the Gospels. When he came, did he build the church? When he came, did he say, look, I, I, disciples, we're going to gather together, and we're going to build a building. And this building is where people are going to come. Because if we build it, they will come. So what if Jesus just said, guys, let's get together. Let's build a structure. Let's do it right here in Galilee. And everybody throughout the world can come here if they want to interact with Jesus. If they don't care, they can stay outside the building. But if they want to meet Jesus, it's inside the building. Now, what if that's the approach Jesus took when he ministered? How would that rewrite biblical history when it comes to the growth of the church in the New Testament. It would totally change the way it worked because now we'd view Jesus as something we come to for a point in time or for a gathering or to sit and listen to, but then we just go back to the routine of our lives and church becomes an institution. It becomes an organization, not an organism. But Paul said, no, 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 no. It's not a building. You are the body of Christ. And just in the same way that Jesus did not contain himself to a building when he came, but he went out with the gospel to people. In fact, he ministered to those who were often marginalized by religion of the day, to the outcasts. He ministered to the leprous. He ministered to the broken, to the sick. He took his gospel, him, the incarnate God, his body, into the location where people needed to hear it. He was not contained to a building. And because the way he ministered, he was irresistible. He was influential. Now, the question is, if the church today is the body of Christ, then why are we not influential and irresistible like Jesus was? What has happened? 
Has the body of Christ become a building? Has the organism that the apostles talked about become an organization? Has the movement of Jesus within mission become a monument, a fixed location? Has the incarnation of Jesus still today where we are, his body expressed in our culture, that should be the incarnation of how we live. Has that incarnation become an institution? And the reason I want to talk about this today, because I think sometimes when we think about neighborhood church, we think about this. We think about a building. We think about coming here at 9 or 1045. We think about sitting and listening to the teaching of God's word. Or we think about worshiping. We think about fellowship with fellow believers in Jesus. And we create this kind of sense that we are a place that clusters together to find kind of a shield away from the culture. In fact, I found it very interesting, and I don't mean to slam anybody here in the room, but I found it interesting that when we were back a few years submitting name ideas for the church, remember we used to be Oak Creek Christian Center, and we went to you with some name suggestions, I found it interesting how many of those names had to do with the idea of pulling away. Terms like arc of safety, refuge, this whole idea that we are a place apart from culture. When that's never what Jesus called, he called us to be people who engage, just like he did, culture. So how did it happen? How over the years have we lost the sense of movement and become a monument? In fact, today, if you were to go to any place in Europe, which, by the way, Europe is always a forecast of what's happening to Western civilization, and you go to Europe today, and you've heard missionaries talk about it, you go to once what was a church building, right? And it's a museum now. I've gone to churches, beautiful churches in Paris. It's like, oh my goodness, these are beautiful. These are gorgeous facilities. But you know what? That's all they are. There's no life. It's a museum. What happened? And to get to that question, we have to take a quick look at where we've come from. Because we have lost what I believe was Christ's intended identity for the church. We've lost that. Now, I'm not saying we as a neighborhood. We're trying to do our best to restore God's original design for the church. But the church, when I talk about the church, I'm talking about just kind of this overwhelming sense of what we call church in America, especially today. We've lost that sense of our identity. So to reestablish that, we have to go back to our origin, all right? So go to Matthew chapter 16, because this interaction that Jesus has with his disciples is the first place in the Bible, period, that we see the word church, all right? First place. So you can do a complete Bible search. You won't find church used in the Old Testament. You'll find words like what? Temple, tabernacle, okay? You'll find that. But when it comes to the Bible, this is the first place we see church. And guess who it's introduced by? Jesus, right? So we have to start here because this was really his idea. All right, so in Matthew 16, 13, we see Jesus doing what he always did, ministering in different regions. He took the gospel to the broken, right? He came to seek and save the religious. Hopefully they would get saved, but seek and save the lost. That was his mission. So here he was doing that. And it says that when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Now, that wasn't the first time he called him Peter. But notice how he started, Simon, and now he says, but I tell you, you are Peter, which means rock. Okay, that's that, that's that term, Cephas, rock, or Kephas. And on this rock, I will build my, and here's the first time we see it, I will build my church. Now, what was the rock he's going to build his church on? It was the testimony that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came, God incarnate, to be with us, to be our Savior. Upon that rock, not you, Peter, but upon the testimony of who I am, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, when you look at that context, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, do you envision a building? Or do you envision the sense of a movement of people? The gates of hell cannot prevail against? That doesn't sound like a fixed, static location. That sounds like something that is moving, that cannot be prevailed against. So what happens here is Jesus is setting up his idea of what the church will do. But also in this passage, we see something that maybe you've never paid attention to before. I grew up in church. I'd read that verse before, I'm sure, and saw the word church and thought, ah, yeah, I go to church. But do you know what? There is something that I think is unique about our Bible translations. Generally speaking, they would take translations from the Greek and find an equivalent word in English and use that. So what's interesting to me and that's where we got to go back to some more history. But when Jesus said, I will build my church, that word church is actually not the original Greek word used there. The actual word is the word ekklesia. That's the Greek word. And ekklesia does not translate quickly to church. Ekklesia actually is a word used to describe a gathering of people who are called out for a specific purpose. Now, why is that important? Because the word ecclesia wasn't even a churchy word. The word ecclesia was used in secular culture. In fact, an ecclesia is what you'd expect when maybe you saw a rally of people around a common purpose. They would come together in ecclesia around that purpose. We, we, we had seen it in military. When they would call the army together, it was an ecclesia, a gathering of soldiers who had a mission or a purpose. So this word in Greek wasn't spiritual. It was just a word they used to talk about a gathering. So why don't we use the word gathering in our Bible? Where did the word church come from? How did we come to use this word? Because it should just say, I tell you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my gathering of people. I will build a movement of people for a very specific purpose. How did the word church get placed into our English translations? And to answer that question, we have to understand that ecclesia never referred to a specific place. It always meant a specific place 
gathering. In fact, Peter, the same one in that conversation with Jesus, helped us understand it further. He said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, notice the parallel term, rock, stone, Jesus is the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What I love about the way Peter does this is you don't see the word church here anywhere, do you? But he's defining what we are as the church, the ecclesia. You are living stones. Notice that word he used. That means you're moving, you're breathing, you have movement. And you are this this ecclesia, this gathering of people who are here to be a royal priesthood, to advance the mission of Jesus. No longer is it a temple with a priest who did all these spiritual things, but now it's you. And you are an expression or an extension of my message to a world that needs the hope of Jesus. You are the royal priesthood. You are the living stones. You're the ones offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So how did we get the word church? If the word Greek means gathering, how did we get the word church? And the answer to this question really explains how the movement that Jesus envisioned over time became institutionalized how over time it became culturally marginalized by culture. And and, and it also explains why we think to ourselves now, most people, if you were to say, do you go to church, they think about a building, okay? So now we see Jesus' origin of it. It's to be a gathering of people passionate about his mission of seeking and saving the lost. That is the church gathering together. But then we now see something else. How do we get there? Let me explain. In 313 AD, this this is after Jesus, right? So this is 300 years after Jesus, roughly, his death and resurrection. The Roman Empire had a new promising emperor coming to the scene. His name was Constantine. And Constantine when he became emperor, he basically allowed Christians to worship freely. What he actually did was he allowed religious freedom throughout the Roman Empire, and because of that, Christians, who formerly it was against the law, basically, to become Christian. That's why they were being arrested, persecuted, not just because of the Jerusalem church, not just because of the, the, the religious people of the day, but Rome. Why? Because the emperor of Rome was considered God. He was considered the son of God. And part of Roman emperor worship was you worshiped the emperor. And so if you were a Christian, you couldn't worship the emperor. In fact, you only had one king of kings you'd worship. You only had one lord that you would worship, and it wasn't Caesar. But what began to happen was Christians were persecuted because they wouldn't worship the Roman emperor. But when Constantine came to power, he allowed some freedom of religion, and different religions began to thrive like Christianity. But here's where the story continues. Constantine himself became a, quote, Christian. And whatever that meant for Constantine, I'm not exactly sure. I haven't had a chance to interview him. Um, But he becomes a Christian. When that happened... It began to change the course of what church looked like. 
You see, when Constantine became converted to the Christian faith, powerful people alongside Constantine kind of brought their former practices of worship with them into their newfound Christian faith. Let me explain. During emperor worship or empire worship, there would be incense that was burnt to fill these kind of temples where they worshiped. Um, There was flowing robes that were worn to kind of declare what position you held in the empire. There would be choirs, processionals, and they would all kind of have this process of worship. And what began to happen was that everything became about the organization and the hierarchy of the church. And you as a Christian became a spectator of what was happening in worship. Not only that, prior to Constantine coming to power in that way, Christians, authentic Christ followers, used to go to the locations of graves of those that were martyred for their faith. And they would gather around that grave as a a reminder of what the cost is of following Jesus. And then they would have communion at this gravesite of one of their fellow martyrs who died. A symbolism of Jesus died for us. We are willing to give our lives up for the, for the sake of the gospel. And so they would gather at a burial place of one of their martyrs. When Constantine came to power, that same principle became adopted. But rather than just having communion there, what they did is they built a building over the site of that martyr's grave. Or if they couldn't build one there, they would exhume the bones of that martyr and they would place it under the communion table of the basilica, the church that they built in honor of that saint. And many of those churches then would be called after a certain saint, a martyr of the church. What's interesting is the Romans called those basilicas. The Gothics or the Germans, they had a different word they used for that, and the word was kirch, kirch. Now, a kirch was called a house of the lords. It was not a religious, well, it was a religious term, I guess. It was, it was kind of used of temples. It wasn't Christian in essence, but it was just called a kirch, a house of the lord. Does that sound like a word we use for something else? The church. And what once was a movement, advancing the mission of Jesus now became a monument where people gathered to worship. And because of that, we lost the origin of why the church existed. But not only that, as that now very man-oriented religion, as this very leadership and hierarchy and, and structure religion began to formulate, it began to advance. And we have these things called the Crusades. Maybe you've heard about those, studied those during school. The advancing of the gospel, but it was done, and some of the ways it was carried out would look like terrorism to us today. And cruelty now wore a cross. And things that were done under the banner of the name of the church, we would call horrific things. Things that Jesus would have never envisioned that was now done under the institution of the church. So that transition in thinking became dangerous. 
when it became man-empowered and structured and organized, and it lost that sense of the grassroots movement where they met in houses and there were informal gatherings of Christians who held all things in common, now began to shift, and that really led to some of the dark ages of our Christian faith, where there are people still today who will not become Christian because of the things that were carried out under the banner of the Crusades. Things that were years this side of the Crusades now. But they would go, how would a loving God use people to do such horrific things as the Crusades? How could that happen? What happened was the church became man-oriented, mission-oriented, but not by the gospel of Jesus Christ, a different way. Why? Because that meant money and power and wealth would flow into the church. So you might kind of wonder, well, then how did we survive? How do we still have a place today that we gather and worship? Because Jesus said, I'm not done with the church. The gates of hell or the plans of man will not prevail against what I envision, remember, the church to be. And here's the thing. The church of man could not contain the ecclesia of Jesus because he did not envision a church. He envisioned a gathering of people, a movement that would be passionate about sharing his good news with those around them. And from the very first century, even still to today, there will always be people, a remnant, a group who refuse to substitute Kirch for ecclesia, who recognize, no, we're not a building. In fact, some of you remember when we were moving from our old campus to here, I continued to say what? This is not the mission. A building is never the mission, because the building isn't the church. The church are the people who are called by God, called out ones who have a purpose, and that purpose is to make Jesus known among their community. And so this was never to be the mission. And there were followers of Jesus who refused to define church in terms of a location alone. Why? Because the church is a movement with a divinely inspired mission, not a monument to some moment in history that we look back and go, it wasn't that great what Jesus did then. But rather, it's a movement of what Jesus is still doing today. The church is not a monument to maintain history. It's a movement that multiplies hope. It's not an organization for Christ that somehow dispenses information, but it is the organism of Christ that brings transformation wherever it goes. That is what the church does. So what does that mean for us today? Why, Kelly, are you talking about church or ecclesia? What difference does it make? It makes all the difference in the world. Because some people, maybe even some gathered here, still think church is a place you go. And throughout history, we lost that. We went from being the church to going to church. And that somehow stuck with us. Maybe you grew up and your parents took you to church. And because of that, maybe you're here today. Because of that, maybe some of your peers aren't here today because their parents took them to church, but never let them see the church is not a building. It's a gathering of people with a mission for Jesus, and a building can't contain that. Now, I'm glad we have a building. The purpose of this building is to gather here to be encouraged by the word of God to then go be the church. 
We come to church to be equipped to go be the church. This isn't the end. If you come here and think that this is the end, here we are, I've arrived at church, I finally have reached my goal. No, you haven't. Because this is not the end. This is a means to an end. And the end is the mission. And guess what? That won't be accomplished sitting in this room. That mission of Jesus is accomplished out where you live, out where you work, out where you connect with other people. So what does this mean for us? As a pastor, I've had to wrestle with this because I've had to ask some big questions like this. Are we moving or are we simply meeting? Are are we making a measurable difference in our local community or are we simply conducting meetings on a Sunday? Are, Are we organized around a mission that makes Jesus known to people who need the hope of the gospel? Are we organized around a mission or are we organized around an antiquated ministry model that we've inherited from previous generations who still want to maintain the way we've always done church? Rather than recognizing, no, Jesus never envisioned a way. He had a mission. And that mission was the thing that became important. Are we an ecclesia or have we settled to become a church? And that is what me, your your pastor, is just wrestling with. Because it's so easy to become a building. It's so easy to have kind of that Kevin Costner field of dreams way of looking at things where it's like, if I build it, they will come. And, And there were times when maybe that philosophy worked. When you built a church, people came. But we live in an America today, friends, where that is not the case. I'm glad folks find Neighborhood Church. Many of them find us online. But it's not the whole, if you build it, they will come phenomenon any longer. That's about a church. We're a mission for Jesus. In fact, from the origin of the church in Acts, we see the church impassioned for Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And guess what happened? On the day of Pentecost, Peter gets up and preaches, and 3,000 people get saved that day, right? One guy preaches, 3,000 get saved, and the church begins to explode with growth. Why? Because the hopeless were hearing the hope of the gospel, and they were discovering community in a gathering of people who met in homes, and they met in public spaces, they never met in a church but they met in community with each other and they encouraged each other. And because of that, the mission continued to advance throughout the Roman Empire. It didn't just stay in Jerusalem, but it continued to be broadcast through the mission's endeavors of Paul out throughout the world. Why? Because the ecclesia of God could never be contained to a location. So what is church? I think it's what Acts 9.31 says. Then the church throughout Judea. And by the way, that word is ecclesia, so it's the gathering, not the church. The the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Why? Because it began to explode with growth. Enjoyed a time of peace, not like, oh, we're going to do nothing, but they enjoyed a time of, of peace of God in their hearts and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. And we see that theme continue. Why? Because the people in the book of Acts never have stopped to establish a building and said, let's build a church. No. They were on mission. 
a gathering of people called out. The goal of the church is to be irresistible and influential just like Jesus. Why? It's a movement, not a location. It is a movement of people called out for one purpose, to know Jesus and make him known. So here's the thing, and I want you to hear me carefully. It's time to stop going to church and start being the church. Do you see the big difference? I want you here at our gatherings, but stop thinking I'm going to a building at 9 or 1045, and there I will carry out and transact my Christian life, and then I will go back and live however I want to. Because when we make it a monument, we make it something we do in the moment. When it's a movement, it transcends the way we look at life. That recognizes that I, when I leave this building, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing Christ with my coworkers in the way that I live. I'm, I'm in my school or I'm, I'm talking to people in my neighborhood about the hope of Christ through conversation and relationship. So the church is not a location. It is a vocation, and that's a big difference. A location, a fixed place. A vocation is a calling. We are the called out ones, Jesus said, to share the good news of Jesus. So here's the big idea, and I'll wrap it up with this. The church is not a place to escape the world. It's a movement through which we engage the world. Now, why is that important? Why am I sharing this on a vision Sunday? Why is that important for us? Here's why. In 2018, we had 34 to 35 registered salvations. That means somebody came to the church, (laughs) they sat and listened to somebody like me talk, and on the connection card, they said, I want to receive Christ. All right? So that means noted, marked, received papers of people who received Christ. Now, what does that mean? I mean, that sounds good. And I thank the Lord for every person who comes to know the hope of Christ through the influence of neighborhood church. I'm glad for that. But what does that mean mathematically? Let me, let me help you understand this. That means it took 15 regular church attenders and members, 15, to bring one person to know Jesus. Now, you might say, that's not bad. I mean, 15 people to bring one, that's, that's pretty good. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind was ratios. I think his ratio was each one (laughs) reaches one, right? I think that's what he was shooting for. But okay, people are coming up. I'm glad for that. But let me give you a picture illustration to bring this home. Let's pretend that you're part of a life-saving crew on a lifeboat. And let's say the lifeboat has a driver, that's one seat, and then has 14 seats. Let's suppose that your life-saving crew was 14 people, a driver and 13 passengers, who went out to save people. And let's say that right off the shore, a ship had run aground, and the storms and the waves were threatening the lives of all the passengers who are leaving there without a lifeboat except for the one coming from the shore. And let's say you went out with your crew of 14, and you had one seat open now, because you were all there to encourage each other to save that one person. And so you get to the location where the people are, but you only got one seat. So 14 people are cheering on the one person who reaches down to the water and saves one and takes that one person back to shore, leaving hundreds still out struggling in the water. And then you went back again with your life-saving crew of 14, and you saved one more. 
and then he went back to shore. How many would drown and die in that process? What if instead you recognized all we need is a driver and one or two rescuers? Because that would leave us a lot more seats open in the life-saving vessel. So then we could go out and we could get more people in the boat and then go back and save them and do it again and again and again. Now, here's my point. While I'm glad that one person came to Jesus through the efforts, not necessarily the efforts, but to the ratio of 15 people who call this home, I can't rest with that in 2019. I can't be confident that we're going to see great success in 2019 with that kind of ratio. So what if we did this instead? What if we thought about the fact that at Neighborhood Church, we have 181 households, okay? So 181 households call this their church home. So that equals to nearly 400 people who call Neighborhood Church home, 181 households. What if one household reached one person this year? One household, one person, okay? I don't know what size your household is. That might be easy for some because your household's like eight. Yeah, eight of us, we can do one. Some of you might be, well, it's two of us, so okay. But what if? That would be 181 people in 2019, this year, that would come to know Jesus because one household got passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus on mission. There are a gathering of people called out to make Jesus known, and they did that. That means that throughout our influence of neighborhood church, not necessarily here in the building, but in community, we could see 181 people come to know the hope of the gospel. Is that possible? Yes, I believe it is. But I've made a goal for this year that I think is attainable. And my goal for 2019 is that we would have 75 people come to faith in Christ through the influence of neighborhood church. Why not 181? Because we got to kind of move from 30 to somewhere, right? So I think this is an achievable goal. 75 people in 2019 that will come to know the hope of Christ Jesus through the influence of neighborhood church. That means not a building. That means you. And guess what? You have a story. They may hate organized religion, but you have a compelling story of what Jesus did in your life. And if you start where they are, sharing your story of what Jesus did for you right where they live, what are the odds that they might think that's pretty intriguing and want to follow Jesus and then begin the discipleship process, which may include joining you to church on a Sunday? I'm not against gathering, and I want you to invite people. I I truly do. I want you to invite people. But here's the thing. The mission of Jesus should go beyond the walls of this church. It should happen Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday. I want to see people come to know Jesus on Monday because you're talking to them about the hope you have in him or you're establishing a relationship. Here's another way to think about it. What if rather than starting a life group for other Christians to come to, which I'm all for fellowship, but what if you started a life group and the whole point of your life group was you invited neighbors and people right around your neighborhood to come to your house for dinner? And you began to have relationship with people who live right where you live. And what if you began to invite them to your house and they saw your life in close proximity? And hopefully because of that, they'll see Jesus. I'm just, I'm just kind of hoping that's the case. But if they get in close proximity with you 
And then you have relationship through which now you can talk about what Jesus has done for your, you or for your family or whatever. Or, or maybe they'll pick up on some things about you that's a bit different. And what if your life group became a little pre-conversion discipling group where you, get, where you began having conversations just loosely about faith and what people think about God? And that begins to have conversation. We can resource you with stuff that helps you do that. There's a program called the Alpha Course, which is so helpful in breaking down the basics of belief in people who are skeptical. We can, we can equip you. What if you saw that and your one household all of a sudden saw eight to 12 people come to Jesus because you opened your home to a group, not for Christians, not that I'm against, you need to keep having life groups for our believers to gather. I'm not against that. But what if you saw it differently this year? So my challenge a household reaching one, my goal would be 75 people. Or maybe for you that means you're going to get intentional about doing a life group for your neighborhood. Start a block party. Get people over. Barbecue some hot dogs. Get to know their names. Pray for them. Why? Because the church is not an escape from our world. The church is a movement that engages the world with the greatest news of all. And if you're here today, that means it was important for you. Your conversion, your following Jesus is important for you. And if you're sitting here, it's important for you. Think about how many people aren't sitting here, that it could be equally important for them. That is our mission. That is our mission. That's why I'm not content just to have church on Sunday and say we're doing great. But if we're not seeing this church reproduce through new convert growth, then we're missing the mission. And we've made these gatherings the mission. And that's not what Jesus intended. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you showed us clearly what you had in mind when it came to the church. You saw people empowered by the Holy Spirit, saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, who were passionate with that good news to reach the broken. And because of that, we saw the church explode with growth throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the Roman Empire, because that was contagious, influential, irresistible. But then once men tried to control it, organize it, and manipulate it, and make it about a building, not a mission, we lost it. So Lord, I pray you would touch our hearts today to recognize these gatherings here on Sunday, yeah, they're important to be encouraged and equipped, but Lord, move us into mission as we leave this building because this isn't the mission. Each one of us are called, not just pastors, not just missionaries, but each one of us are called to put hope within the reach of our friends, our neighbors. And we do that best through our own story of what you've done for us. Help us be people who see that mission Monday through Saturday out in our community, not just Sunday in a building. Let us be the ecclesia of Christ, not a church, not a church, because that will become a monument that will kill the movement you want to do. So we need your help, Jesus. Help us, we pray, to be on mission. I pray for the 75 people right now that through the influence of this church, from these people getting serious with the mission, we will see 75 people plus come to know you a savior, and it's going to happen in the relationships that go outside of the walls of this church. 
So I pray for them right now. I pray our people would live on mission tomorrow. Make us aware of the needs right around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.